Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. <laughs> okay, today's episode of Isaac's Haunted Beard is going to be a little bit different. We're not going to be talking about a movie today. We're going to be talking about a bunch of movies, because today I'm going to reveal my top 10 favorite first-time watches of 2019. I know, seems a little late to be doing something like that. Well, I wasn't going to do this. Uh, people who usually do this are people who pay to, are paid to do stuff like this. Professional uh, writers and film critics and filmmakers and people who are qualified to put out top 10 lists. Uh, but these people uh, put out top 10 lists of movies that they watched that are new. People who go to the theater a lot. I don't. So why am I doing this? Well, two reasons. Reason number one. About a week ago, maybe maybe even less than a week ago, I got a tweet <laughs> from a Twitter friend whose account is called Graves Make Roses Bloom. He asked me what my top 10 favorite movies of 2019 were because he had noticed that I had not published one. And I said the reason I didn't publish one was because I felt unqualified to do so. I don't go to the movies very often. I think I phrased it something like, uh, I may watch five new movies a year and hundreds of movies from the 70s and 80s. Which is an exaggeration, but I mean, I still it still makes my point. I, I, I think it's not too far from the truth. I don't go to the theater very often. And um, I do love old movies, and I, I do really enjoy watching them. But uh, he had said that, and I apologize if I, I misquote him, something like, uh, you know, it, didn't, it wasn't important that the movies that I would talk about would be new. He was just interested in what movies I saw from last year st stood out as, as, uh, my favorites. So, uh, I love encouragement. <laughs> Sometimes all it takes to push me uh, in the right direction is to just give me that nudge. I need that nudge. <laughs> Something that made me feel better about doing this, about doing, a a top 10 list of movies that weren't new is a little story about Martin Scorsese, who I don't have to tell you who that is. One of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Recently, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos of old episodes of Siskel and Ebert. And on one of them, Roger Ebert had a special guest, and that was filmmaker Martin Scorsese. And it was the end of the 90s. Maybe they had put this episode out at the beginning of the aughts. And the subject was top 10 favorite movies of the 90s. And Martin Scorsese's number one film of the 1990s was a film called Horse Thieves, which he explained is actually from the year 
1986. But he felt comfortable including it in his top 10 films of the 90s list because he saw it for the first time in the 90s. So as far as he's concerned, it qualifies. Not only did it qualify, it was his number one. So if Marty Scorsese can do that, I can do that. Uh, Briefly, my relationship with movies. I mentioned earlier that I'm not a film critic. I'm just a fan, like all of you. But I watch a lot of movies. I watch movies every day. I keep a film calendar, and I did, in fact, count how how many movies I watched last year, because I was was curious. And what I did was I didn't count any film that appeared on the calendar twice, so no rewatches. So as far as... uh, one, one-time viewings or, or, or first-time viewings of, of films, I tallied 500 films watched. And what that means for me is usually sitting in the dark, watching the movie, and nothing else. Not multitasking. Uh, sometimes I even put on headphones because... When I watch a film, I don't even like the sound of the movie to mix in with other sounds. Like, I don't want to hear things happening outside my window. Uh, I don't want to hear anything. I just want to hear the movie. And I want to be completely in the world of that movie. And that's why I turn the lights off, and that's why I don't do anything else. So, for that hour and a half to two hours to, you know, however long the film is... It's just me in that film. So that's what 500 movies means for me. That's 500 movies where it's just me and the movie. And uh, that's what I count as a screening. I've seen people mention that they've watched many more. I hope they watched many more. That's awesome. But I don't personally count it if what that means to you is that you just have a movie on in the background while you're doing stuff. That's not the same to me. Uh, here we go. Let's talk about movies, shall we? First, what I did was I looked at my film calendar and I picked out all the movies that really stuck out as memorable experiences for me. That's it. I didn't really put too much thought into it. Just what really stuck out as something that I remember when I watched it uh, somehow thrilled me for whatever reason it thrilled me so I didn't count I just made a list then I had to narrow it down to 10 because I do want to be disciplined I do want to make a top 10 list but it is my podcast this isn't a television show and nobody's paying me so I really can be flexible and I really can break the rules or bend the rules if I want to and that's why <laughs> All the movies that didn't make my top 10 list have made the honorable mentions list. Well, that's fun, right? There's no rules to that as far as I'm concerned. You can name as many movies as you want. So, here's my honorable mention list. And I'm not going to talk about the plots or any other additional information. I'm just going to rattle off the titles. And if you are so inspired to 
look it up on the internet if you don't uh, know what that movie's about. I mean, some of these titles are very famous movies that everyone has heard of in the past year. Some new, most old, and maybe some not so much. And if you want to look them up, look them up. Read about them and see if you want to check them out and keep in mind, if this means anything to you, that they're on my honorable mention list. And if you want to, you're welcome to talk to me on Twitter. You can tweet me. You can DM me. Uh, I'll always engage in polite conversation. Meaning, (laughs) I'll reply to anyone as long as they're not rude. So here's my honorable mentions list in no particular order. The Cotton Club. The Razor's Edge. The Irishman. The Car. Seconds. Dolomite is my name. Deadly Games. Midsummer. Avengers Endgame. Neon Maniacs. Night Riders, Hugo, Session 9, Nemesis, Uncut Gems, and The Rise of Skywalker. There you go. There's my honorable mentions list. So let's move on to the top ten list. It's the hardest thing about making a top 10 list is the ranking. And I think the way I can do this without feeling too much pressure or stress is to be forgiving of myself. (laughs) So I'm asking you to do the same thing. I feel like when you make a list, the second you put it out there in the universe, you regret it. (laughs) You look back at it and go, oh, this should have made the list. Or maybe this shouldn't have made the list. Or maybe this should have been ranked higher. So I went on my gut instinct and decided that more or less this is the ranking I want to put it in. It doesn't necessarily mean that one film's better than the other. In fact, I'll say for certain it doesn't mean that. I think it's just a personal reflection of how I reacted to that movie. And it also just reflects how I reacted to that movie at the time. You can have a different reaction to a movie later when you watch it again. Sometimes the same, but sometimes better, sometimes worse. Who knows? This is just a reflection of the time. So uh, there you go. I hope that this list inspires you to, at the very least, seek out more information about a movie so you can make a decision if you want to watch it. But if you just completely trust me for some reason, go for it. Check out these movies. They have my seal of approval. Of the 500 movies that I watched, these are the ones that I chose to be in my top 10 first-time viewings of 2019. And I am going to actually talk about the plots so you have an idea of what they're about. I might lightly mention some feelings about each movie. And I hope that this is interesting to you. (laughs) Here we go. All right. From the year 2018, coming in at number 10, Christopher Robin. This film 
reminds me of Hook. In Hook, we see Peter Pan all grown up. Same with this film. Christopher Robin, from the Winnie the Pooh universe, is all grown up. As a grown up, he forgets about his talking doll friends until Pooh tracks him down in real life and Pooh is shocked to see that Christopher Robin is an adult. This is a live action film, it's not a cartoon. So the dolls, you know, when I say the dolls, I mean Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore, Tigger, so forth. <laughs> Uh, they could really make or break the film, right? Because they're the stars. Uh, the dolls are perfect. I really don't know how to explain it. It's not animated. It's not, I don't want to say CGI. They really do look like real dolls. I mean, I guess they are CGI, but they look like real dolls. And they're, but they're walking and talking. Uh, what makes the film special to me is Winnie the Pooh. He's so gentle and he's always saying things that feel like so zen-like. This is one of those beautiful films that reminds me what's really important in life. And it makes me leave the film feeling better for having watched it. That's why I made the top 10 list. Because not only is it a good story, is it ch charming, it's enchanting, you know, the special effects are great, but it just makes me feel like just a good person. So number 10 is Christopher Robin. From the year... 1978, coming in at number nine, thank God it's Friday. Now, although this film is only 89 minutes, it feels like an epic to me. And I mean that as a compliment. This is a day in the life film, you know, meaning it takes place within like 24 hours. It's a film that tells various intertwining stories that take place at a discotheque called The Zoo. It's a comedy with an ensemble cast that includes a young Jeff Goldblum as the sleazy yet charismatic owner of the disco. It also has musical performances in it by Donna Summer and the Commodores. This film serves as a document for disco culture uh, which must look alien-like to young people of today. You know, although the excellent film Saturday Night Fever does the same thing, that film is a drama that at times is depressing, as where this film is lighthearted and fun. You know, you enjoy spending time there. And the disco itself, the zoo, it's, it's difficult to describe, especially having not just watched it recently. My memory is that... There's so much details to the way it's decorated. It's like this huge building and there's many rooms and each room is themed and it's, it's incredible. It's, it seems like, like I, I never consider myself a disco person, but when you watch this movie, it's hard not to want to go visit the zoo. <laughs> and I like seventies movies. It's fun. I dig it. So yeah, number nine is thank God it's Friday. Okay, from 1986, coming in at number eight, The Boy Who Could Fly. A Twitter friend of mine, whose account is called Three Oranges, encouraged me to seek this out because he's familiar with my taste. You know, being a big 80s movie fan, 
He had a feeling that I would like this one, and he was 100% right, because I loved it. Now, this is about a mother who's a widow, who moves into a house in the suburbs with her teenage daughter, who is the main character of the film, and her younger brother. Their neighbor is a silent, autistic teenage boy who thinks he can fly. (laughs) And now, if this was like a Hallmark movie, that would be it. But it's not. This is a film that not only it's not only just about the blossoming friendship between the teenage girl and the autistic boy, but as the film unravels, you're given clues that this young man may actually be able to fly. <laughs> this is a film where you come to see a boy fly and you stay to see Natalie from the facts of life get drunk. (laughs) Yes, Mindy Cohen plays the girl's friend, and there's a scene where they get drunk together, and it made me feel like I'd like to get drunk with Natalie. She seems like fun. (laughs) There you go. Number eight, Boy Who Could Fly. From the year 2014, coming in at number seven, Muppets Most Wanted. Now I'm a huge Muppets fan, And I really loved the comeback film from 2011 called The Muppets. So when this movie had come out a few years later, I don't know. For some reason, I felt like it was too soon. I felt like it was too good to be true because I was so into that 2011 film. I feared that they rushed it and it wasn't going to be good. So to avoid any heartbreak, I avoided this movie for a long time. But now it's on Disney+. Plus. I felt like I'll give it a shot. And I loved it. Uh, It literally starts where the last film left off. The main plot is that Kermit the Frog has an evil doppelganger named Constantine who breaks out of prison and kind of kidnaps Kermit and switches places with him. So, you know, one story is a prison film where you see Kermit the Frog living in prison. And the other is Constantine as Kermit the Frog going on a European tour with the Muppets choosing places to do shows at based on cities that have like museums or like jewelry stores or places that he can steal. So it gives him an opportunity to go to those cities and it's great. It's very funny. And one of the things that I remember thinking when I was watching the movie is these songs are really, really good. Kind of like the last movie. The music is, is terrific. The songs are funny and they're just well written. And as it turns out, when I read the you know the credit, watch the credits afterwards, uh, like the last film, uh, the songs are written by Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords, which I am a fan of. And that was a very pleasant surprise. Coming in at number seven is Muppets Most Wanted from the year 1981. Coming in at number six is Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. High school senior Billy lives with his aunt. She's raised him since he was a baby after his parents died in a car accident. Billy's reaching the end of his school year, and he's preparing to move on with his life and move out, and his aunt is not happy about this. This movie is about what lengths his super crazy aunt goes to to prevent Billy from leaving, which include murder. 
It's kind of a horror film. It also reveals secrets that you learn about the ant as the film goes on. Susan Terrell, the late Susan Terrell, who was an expert at playing eccentric characters, she plays the ant. She's the number one reason this film is on the list. So the less said, the better. If you ever have a chance to see this film, take it. It's amazing. You won't be disappointed. So number six is Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. From the year 1972, number five, Bone. This is the feature film debut of cult filmmaker Larry Cohen. The title role, Bone, yes, it's the name of a character, is played by Yafit Koto, who I really dig. I like Yafit Koto. He is the Bond villain in my favorite James Bond film, Live and Let Die. Yafit Koto plays Bone, a man who wanders onto the property of a seemingly rich couple with the intention of robbing them. Very simple. It just starts off that way. You're at this big house and you see this couple and this guy just wanders onto the property. And the husband, he has to go to the bank to get money to give to Bone while Bone stays back at the house holding his wife hostage. And this film really starts to take shape as we learn that this couple doesn't really like each other as the wife tries to convince Bone that he should murder her husband. Uh, I love movies from the 70s. This is one of those films that kind of feels like a combination of a uh, uh, exploitation slash kind of black exploitation film, but through the filter of an art film. And I think it's really terrific. Check out Bone, especially if you like Larry Cohen. He makes such great films. I feel like you can't miss. Coming in from the year 2019. Ooh, a new movie. <laughs> Number four is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow, I really don't really have to say anything about this film because there's something I can say that hasn't been said. You already know everything there is to know about it. This is a movie by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, it's a hangout film. You know, I think uh, some of the people that didn't like this but do like Quentin's other work like that his movies are usually very violent and cartoonish and fast paced. And this one's more like Jackie Brown. It's slower and you just spend more time with the actors as they, you just kind of live in their world and see how they behave. And they're such fascinating characters and they're performed so beautifully by an amazing ensemble cast. So any praise I could give to the cast has already been given, but I will give uh, some praise to the little girl who has great scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio and the dog who has great scenes with Brad Pitt. So number four is once upon a time in Hollywood coming in at the year from the year 2019 and number three is observe and report. This film is about a mentally unstable vigilante mall cop. It's a comedy. <laughs> may not sound like a comedy based on that description, but it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy. What on the surface may trick some people into thinking that this is like Paul Blart Mall Cop, which I've actually not seen, and I don't even want to see it. This is more like a dark comedy version of Taxi Driver, 
which I didn't know going into it. So it shocked me. I love this movie so much. This is from the director of the fist foot way. I highly recommend it. I honestly feel like a lot of people, uh, maybe avoided it because they thought it was going to be a stupid comedy, but it's a very smart film. Check it out from the year 2019. Ooh, another new movie. Number two is the beach bum. This is a film by one of my favorite filmmakers, Harmony Kareen. It's his most accessible film in that it's loose. It loosely has a plot. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really have a plot, but you can follow it as where some of his other films feel more disjointed. This movie follows around the character of moon dog, who is a wealthy poet living in Florida, living a hedonistic lifestyle. He's always drunk and high. He's strangely charismatic and funny. Uh, He's a beautiful train wreck. I find him fascinating. He's performed brilliantly by Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey and every second that he's on the screen is just completely mesmerizing. Uh, the Beach Bomb, number two. Which leaves me with my number one choice. From the year 1980, number one, Popeye. This is a kid's film, kind of. When I saw this as a kid, I hated it. I thought it was boring. I liked the last 10 minutes of it when you see Popeye finally eat spinach and fight Bluto, and I thought the rest was dull. So I avoided it my entire life until at some point as an adult, I found out that Robert Altman made it. So I revisited it. It stars Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall in roles they were born to play. They're amazing as Popeye and Olive Oil. Features very memorable music that gets stuck in your head by Harry Nilsson. And in this film, Popeye arrives in a small coastal town and he's looking for his father. While there, he falls for Olive Oil, and along with Olive, becomes the adoptive parents of the abandoned baby, Sweepy. This is a children's film for adults. It's perfectly put together. It has an amazing balance between being a film that's clearly adapted from a cartoon and being its own film that feels like a very rustic-looking art film. I could say more, but I actually may talk about this film in a future podcast, so I'm going to save it and just take my word for it. It's currently streaming on Netflix as of this recording has been released. Please check out Popeye. And there you go. That's my 10 favorite first time viewings of 2019. My next episode will be a return to film reviewing and it should come out next week. I want to thank you for spending time with me. Uh, if you haven't already, please follow Isaac's Haunted Beard on Twitter and subscribe to Isaac's Haunted Beard on YouTube. So, in the meantime, I hope you take care of yourself, watch the movies you want to watch without guilt, and until next time, aloha.